Well, Pastor Paul indicated to me when I first asked whether he could preach that he would be talking about Zacchaeus, and he didn't have a sermon title at the time, and so he asked me to come up with a title. I thought it was fairly creative, Jesus for the Lost and the Little. And then I had a look at the sermon title that he came up with for his church, and it was Yo, Shorty, which is even more creative. Once again, I was outdone by Paul Vandenbrink. Um, So, Paul will read in a moment from the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. I'm going to read a corresponding passage from the Old Testament from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 15. Hear these words. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them, As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out of the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements in the land." I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And I'd like to invite uh, Pastor Paul forward, and he will read our text and preach the message tonight. Welcome, Paul. I got here today. Hope this works. So far, so good. Thanks, uh, Bill, for the invitation. I think this is my first time being here during the era of COVID. Strange days we live in, but it's good that we can uh, still meet together and worship. <clears throat> I should also let you know that uh, I am I am not I'm not so much a teacher as a preacher, but I've been learning a lot about teaching by teaching a course with your pastor at Redeemer and I'm I'm learning a ton of things. I keep telling him I am your I am your number one student. Uh we, we co-teach this class and so when it's his turn to teach I just sit there and I listen to the guy go and he knows so much and he just pulls stuff out of wherever I guess out of this and puts things together in ways that I have never heard before. And it's awesome, and I love it, and I love your pastor. Got a bit of a crush on him. All right. I'm going to read Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief uh, tax collector and was wealthy. 
He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. So, uh, one of my favorite hymns uh, is, it's, it's a pretty well-known hymn, probably not super well-known hymn. Um, it's called, I Sought the Lord, and Afterward I Knew. How many of you are familiar with that hymn? So, uh, a number of you are, are familiar. I absolutely love that hymn. It's, I don't know if it's my favorite or just one of my favorites, but in any case, I do do love it a great deal. It has remarkable lyrics, and it starts like this. I sought the Lord... And afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him seeking me. And you know, anybody who has spent any serious amount of time reflecting on their relationship with Jesus, coming to faith in him, eventually comes to the same conclusion as that hymn does. I sought the Lord, but afterward I knew that He moved my soul to seek Him seeking me. In other words, He was seeking me before I was seeking Him. I may not have known that at the time, but in retrospect, I discovered that that's the truth. And that is actually a pretty interesting thing about the Christian faith, because we live in a world that basically sees religion as the story of humanity's search for God. You know, human beings are looking for transcendence or uh, they're looking for salvation or redemption of some kind, something beyond themselves, and so they go looking for God. That's what people tend to think about religion. But the Christian faith says the exact opposite. The Bible says the exact opposite. The Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 3, he says, there is no one righteous, not even one, no one who understands, no one who seeks God, not even one. Unless you think that that's just Paul kind of giving his take on things. He's quoting the Old Testament. This is the story of the Bible from beginning to end. That if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God pursued you. God hunted you down. God set his affection on you mysteriously. He decided that he wanted to make you see your need for Jesus Christ, open your eyes to your need for a Savior, and and see that Jesus, the Son of the living God, as we confessed Him in the Nicene Creed, is that Savior that you so desperately need, and move you to put your trust and faith in Him, and to love Him beyond anything that you have loved otherwise. Now, what is great about this story that we just read is that it is a beautiful illustration of that principle. That God moved your soul and my soul, if you're a follower of Jesus, He has moved your soul to seek Him seeking you. Because when you read this story, it looks like a story of a man seeking out Jesus. 
That's how it starts. But by the time you get to the end of the story, you discover that it's about Jesus seeking a man. What I want to do with us for, for a few minutes this evening is just unpack those two themes as they show up in this story and then maybe offer an application at the end. So let's have a look together at this story and see, first of all, how Zacchaeus is a man seeking Jesus. Now, Jesus is passing through the city of Jerusalem. This is a pretty large city, pretty metropolitan, cosmopolitan city, at least by Palestinian standards at the time. And the same thing is happening there that happens whenever Jesus goes anywhere. A crowd gathers. Because Jesus has a reputation. Jesus has made a name for himself because he's done some pretty incredible things. Luke records that prior to this incident, Jesus has made a lame person walk. He has just recently made a blind person able to see. He has healed a leper, something that hasn't happened in the land of Israel for thousands of years. He has done some pretty incredible things. And so there is this crowd looking to catch a glimpse of this Jesus as he makes his way through this big city. And Zacchaeus is one of the people who wants to see him. Now we read in verse 2 some interesting facts about Zacchaeus, that he is a chief tax collector and he is wealthy. And those things actually say a lot more than they say. If you lived back then and you heard the term chief tax collector, you would cringe. In fact, you wouldn't cringe, you would seethe with hatred. Because you see, the Palestinians, the Jews at this time, they were under their Roman oppressors who had, had taken over their land, and those Romans were exacting taxes from, uh, from the Jewish people. And, you know, not all taxes are bad, but in this case, the taxes were bad. They were oppressive, they were exorbitant, meaning they were way out of whack, okay? And the Romans didn't just do the dirty work themselves. What they did was, was they enlisted Jews to actually do the work of exacting the taxes from the people. These were the tax collectors. And those people, they didn't just take the taxes the Romans wanted, they actually uh, charged greater taxes than the Romans wanted, and they, they pocketed the difference. Which means that Zacchaeus was a guy who was making his wealth, building his empire on the backs of his own people. He was a complete and utter sellout to the Roman oppressors, he had turned his back on his own people and were using them for his own personal gain. We probably, I don't even know if there's a, a comparison, a modern comparison other than this one. Back in World War II, uh, there were people in the countries of Western Europe when the Germans, the Nazis, were making their way across Europe in countries like France, Netherlands, Belgium. These were people who became known as Nazi collaborators. And basically, these people said, you know what? I gotta make a choice here, I gotta decide who's gonna win this war. I think the, the Germans are gonna win this war and therefore I'm going to throw my lot in with them. And they started throwing their own people under the bus, collaborating and helping the, the, the Nazi invaders to, uh, to defeat their own people and they were hated for it. That's probably the closest thing we've got to this character, okay? But it's even worse because it says he's a chief tax collector, which means that he was building an empire as a tax collector. He had other tax collectors working for him, making him even a wealthier man. That's what we learn about him. So Zacchaeus would have been a complete and utter outcast in this city and in his community. Nobody would have wanted anything to do with him. I mean nobody. His own family would have utterly cut him off. Everybody had a family in first century Palestine. Okay, that's how you lived. 
You lived in families. You lived in clans. And when that family would get together at, well, not Christmas, <laughs> Uh, they would get together on holidays and for special meals and stuff like that and they would reminisce and talk about things his name was like a swear word you don't use his name this guy is dead to us Okay? he had absolutely no friends he had nobody because of the choice that he made to be a tax collector we also learn in verse 3 that he was short now how short was he? everybody wants to know I want to know I mean how short was he? I don't know. Nobody knows how short he was. We know he was short, though. We know that he was a very teeny tiny man. Okay? Was he what we would classify a little person? I'm not sure about that. But we know that he was very, very short. Okay? And it says that just like everybody else, he wanted to see Jesus as Jesus was coming through the city. Now, he decides that he needs to climb a tree. Well, why does he need to climb a tree? The text tells us that he couldn't see Jesus uh, because he couldn't see over the crowd. Now, initially you might just think it's because he's short. But upon further reflection, I think there's more to it than that. You know, in any, t any crowd, you know, when, 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 when somebody, a celebrity comes through the city or whatever, when any crowd gathers, what happens? Usually what happens is, is people kind of start to stack up according to height, right? So the short people stand in the front and the taller people stand in the back. And what probably happened to Zacchaeus is, is he's a short guy, he sees the crowd, he gets there and he's like jumping up and down and trying to see and he can't get in there. So what does he want to do? He wants to push his way to the front. But everybody hates him. And so couple big burly landscapers they stand shoulder to shoulder and when he tries to push his way through you give him a little nudge so he can't get there so he says okay fine I'm going to go climb a tree now he doesn't climb a big maple tree or oak tree like we have here he climbs a sycamore tree a sycamore tree was a short stout tree with low branches but remember he's a little guy and he's like middle aged at least or possibly a little bit older he's not particularly nimble probably and so you can imagine what it's like for Zacchaeus to find this tree on Jesus' pathway and he's trying to climb up and he's trying to wrap his leg around the, the low branches and he looks like an utter and complete fool. Not to mention the fact that he is a middle-aged man and middle-aged men in the ancient Near East, they didn't do childish things like climb trees and, and act foolish like that because it's a shame and honor culture. And so he is totally, as a wealthy, rich man, he is totally putting every shred of dignity he has right on the line simply by climbing this tree. The question is why? Why? It's not just because he's short. He could have said, yeah, I'm never going to get through the crowd. I'm going home. And it's not because he's an outcast it's not like he, he could have just said, well, oh boy, nobody's ever going to let me through there. Forget about it. I, I give up. No, he was driven to behave out of character, to look like an idiot in front of everybody. Why? Verse 3 tells us. In verse 3, it says, he wanted to see who Jesus was. Now, it's a very interesting way that Luke, Luke puts it. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Luke is giving us a clue here. Think about this. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, meaning that he was in charge of all these tax collectors. Now, 
If you go back in the book of Luke, you will see that Luke, interestingly enough, he kind of portrays tax collectors, the worst sinners of society, okay? The people you do not want to take home to mom and dad. He portrays them in a relatively positive light. So in Luke chapter 3, for example, it says that tax collectors were coming to be baptized by Jesus. Luke chapter 5, Levi, who is a tax collector, gets invited by Jesus to become one of his disciples, one of the inner circle, one of the people that he is going to teach. That's a very honorable position. In Luke chapter 7, it says that tax collectors were accepting Jesus' teaching. In Luke chapter 15, when we get that great story of the prodigal son, you know, at the very beginning of the chapter, it says that the Pharisees and the tax collectors had come to hear Jesus speak. And then in Luke chapter 18, one chapter just before this one that we read, Jesus tells that incredible story of the tax collector and the Pharisee who both come up to the temple. And the, tax, the Pharisee says, Oh, Lord, I thank you that you are so gracious and good to me and that I am not like other men like this tax collector over here. And the tax collector stands far off with his head down and he's beating his breast and he says... Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And what does Jesus say? The tax collector goes away justified. He's the one who goes away saved. Luke is preparing you and me as readers for this encounter. But more importantly, Jesus has been preparing Zacchaeus for this encounter. Zacchaeus has heard that this Jesus likes to hang out with people like him. And Zacchaeus has heard that he's actually chosen a tax collector as one of his inner circle. And it piques Zacchaeus' interest and it makes him say, there's something about this guy. I, I need to see him. I need to find... Who knows what it was that ultimately did it. Maybe Zacchaeus discovered at some point, like the Beatles, that you can't buy me love. He's rich, and he's utterly alone, and perhaps he has this void, but he does know, at least, at the very least, he knows that there's something about Jesus, and he wants to see him. So you've got a man seeking Jesus. But as the story continues, what you see is there's a Jesus seeking a man. Because Jesus walks up to this tree, and he looks up, and his eyes lock on one person, Zacchaeus, and he says, hey, you, Zacchaeus, you come down from there. I must stay at your house today. Now, all the while I was growing up, I always pictured this scene with Zacchaeus in the tree by himself and Jesus seeing him in the tree. And I blame all the children's illustrated Bibles I read for that. It's their fault. But if you think about it, it is very, very unlikely that Zacchaeus was by himself. Have you ever watched footage of like a great soccer hero going back to his hometown village or something like that, or a, a celebrity back, go back to their hometown? What happens? People want to catch a glimpse of them, right? So they're climbing on top fences, and they're climbing up lampposts, and there's people in trees and stuff, and the, most of the time, it's the kids who want to get a good look and are nimble enough to get up there that are doing this kind of thing. So the picture is more likely that Zacchaeus is up in this tree with a bunch of other people, and Jesus stops, and he looks up, and everybody else is there, and Zacchaeus is looking down, and he says, Hey, you! Or, yo, shorty. And imagine Zacchaeus, right? <gasps> me? Is he talking to me? I think he's talking to me. 
Get down from there. Oh boy, get down from there. I'm a dead man. And then he hears, I must stay at your house today. Now, if you know anything about ancient Middle Eastern cultures or even modern traditional cultures, you know that what Jesus has just done in that moment is unbelievable. He has extended the right hand of fellowship. He has, he has said, Zacchaeus, I want to be your friend. I want to be in relationship with you. You know, I, I had the good fortune in 2010 to, to do a bit of preaching in West Africa. And I tell you, man, they really encourage you to preach in West Africa. Everything is like, amen. <laughs> it's awesome. But while I was there, I was told by the missionary that was bringing us around, he said, look, we're going to go into, you're going to be the guest of, of a bunch of different people. You're going to go into the home. And he said, it does not matter what they put in front of you to eat. You eat it and you eat all of it. Because to refuse that was a tremendous insult. Because when someone invites you into the home, they're not just saying, hey, let's, you know, let's hit the West Town Diner together. They're inviting you into a relationship. Jesus could have not done anything to dignify Zacchaeus more than to say, I must stay at your house today. He showed him tremendous honor. Remember, Zacchaeus was a complete and utter outcast. He was not able to invite anybody to his home. There is no way a synagogue ruler, a rabbi, would ever enter his home. They would be considered unclean as soon as they did that. Any godly Jew in the town would have kept their complete distance from him. There's no way that they ever would have gotten into contact with him because they would have been unclean. And here Jesus is inviting himself into Zacchaeus' home. And if you think that he's just going for lunch... I read a bunch of different commentaries and a number of them pointed out that the language of I must come to your house, Zacchaeus welcomed him gladly and then all the people muttered because he has gone to be the guest of Zacchaeus. All that language indicates that Jesus probably moved in for a little while, at least for a sleepover. So Jesus is blowing up convention to be in relationship with, with Zacchaeus. And listen, notice that he does not preach the gospel to Zacchaeus. He doesn't look up and say, Zacchaeus, yeah, repent and believe the gospel and get down here. And Zacchaeus comes down the tree. Not at all. This is one of the great sinners of the New Testament. Nowhere in this story is there any mention of Jesus calling him out on his sin. Why not? Because Zacchaeus was in the tree. Zacchaeus had already demonstrated, he maybe didn't know much about Jesus, but he knew he needed to see Jesus. He knew he needed him. One of the things we love to talk about at Grace Valley is how the wonderful thing about the gospel and the wonderful thing about Jesus is, is the only thing you have to bring to him is need. That's all you have to bring to him. We want to bring him our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our money, our time, and he says, just give me you. Just give me you admitting that you can't handle your life, that you have made a muck of your life, that you have no way of making yourself worthy of a relationship with me, and as soon as you do that, as soon as you do that, I'm coming in. And notice, that's what Jesus does. Zacchaeus does not invite Jesus to his house. 
This is not an evangelical invite Jesus to your heart moment. This is a Jesus boom knocking down the door and saying I'm coming in moment. And notice the last thing and this is the most important thing. It was not like like Jesus looked up and saw Zacchaeus and said hey you. And Zacchaeus said Lord I know I've been a cheat. I know I've been a a bad guy. I am really, really sorry. I promise to change my ways. And Jesus said, great, I'm coming to your house. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus said, get down here. I'm coming to your house. And then look at verse 8, where it says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, they're in the house now. So you go from verse 7, everybody's saying he's going to his house to be a guest. Jesus is sitting at the table or however they ate. And at some point, Zacchaeus says, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions. I am cutting a check for 50% of my net worth right now and giving it to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. 300% of anybody I defrauded, I'm I'm giving it back to them. But he does it. Listen, this is the punchline. This is proof that it has to be Jesus seeking us first. It has to be. The acceptance of Jesus is what activates Zacchaeus' repentance and faith. Zacchaeus was a sinner, but he was accepted as a sinner by Jesus. He was accepted as a sinner by Jesus, and that led to his repentance and faith. It is contrary to what people think of religion. People think religion is like... There's a TV show on on, on Netflix right now that I kind of got hooked on called The Good Place, and... Uh, Usually I don't talk about TV shows, but this one's like super funny and super interesting. The premise is this. A woman ends up in what's called heaven, or the good place, but she wasn't supposed to be there because she's not a good person. There was a glitch. She was supposed to go to the other place. And the reason they know she was supposed to go to the other place is because life is spent doing good deeds and bad deeds, and you have to build up the points to get into the good place, but she didn't have enough points, so she was going to go to the bad place. And then the premise is she learns moral philosophy. If you like philosophy, you'll like this show. She learns moral philosophy to figure out how to stay in the good place now that she's there. But the whole premise is based upon you do good things. God will accept you. And the whole premise of this story is Jesus accepted Zacchaeus and therefore he did good things. Now why is this the way that it happens? Why is it that when Jesus says in spite of your flaws, in spite of your record, in spite of your collaboration and extortion, simply because I see in you your need for me, I want to enter in a relationship with you, and that's what changes Zacchaeus. Why is that the case? Well, in verse 6, notice that it says, Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Other translations say he welcomed him with great joy. When you come to the place that you realize that Jesus is accepting you just as you are, you are filled with incredible joy. And it breaks the back of your need to constantly make yourself feel worthy of his relationship. I talk to many people in the church, Christians, whose greatest problem is, is they feel guilty They feel like they don't deserve God's grace. They don't feel like they deserve a relationship with him and they can't measure up. And I love telling them, cheer up. This is from Jack Miller. You're worse than you think you are. You don't deserve God's grace. That's the whole point of it. That's why it's called grace. 
One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Romans 5, verse 8. God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were, and then here's the word, still sinners, Christ died for us. That is an unbelievable word. Five letters that change your life. It is my story. I'm, I'm, I'm a little long, but I want to give you my story. I'm not that long, though. Um, my parents uh, went through a revival of faith or something. I still don't quite sure know exactly what happened to them, but when I was a tween, 12 years old or so, something happened to my parents, and wow, did they become Jesus freaks. Talking about Jesus all the time, dragging my, me and my younger sister to church all the time. And as a teenager, I kind of rebelled against it. I was embarrassed by it. I was annoyed by it. I found myself wanting to live in a way that did not conform to the will of God because I wanted to have fun, and I thought fun meant sin, like a lot of people do. And so I kind of went through a period of my life where I was just sort of off the rails, in all honesty. It wasn't like I didn't think God was there, but I didn't really have any time for him in any way. And when I was about 16 years old, maybe 17 years old, I did something really, really bad. Really bad. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Don't put it in your questions. What did you do? <laughs> I will not tell you. But it was bad. And I, I'm, I'm still a little bit ashamed of it, in all honesty. It was bad. And my parents found out, and I thought, I am a dead man. I am so dead. My dad, like myself, I have struggled a bit with anger in the past. My dad struggled with anger for a, a period of time in his life, um, for much of his life, actually. And he could be a very terrifying guy um, when he was angry. And I thought, he's going to kill me. It's going to be bye-bye world. All the Annabrink no longer exists. And I'm standing in the living room of my, my parents' home, and I'm ready for them to confront me. And my dad comes toward me, and he did something that I never could have expected, ever. Maybe my mom would have done this, because she was a different person, but I never thought my dad would have done this. It was a little bit like this Zacchaeus moment. Hey, you, <gasps> come here. <gasps> And he wrapped his arms around me in a massive bear hug. And he said, son, what is wrong? Don't you know that we love you so much and God loves you even more? And in that moment, I got to tell you, Proverbs is right. A gentle word can break a bone. I was like snapped in half. Just, just ruined by the kindness of my parents in that moment. And I went to bed that night and I remember laying there and thinking, Jesus, you have to be real. I cannot think of any other way other than divine love that parents could be this loving and gracious toward their kid. And that, became, that began a change for me. Now I have to admit, like I'd love to be able to tell you, oh, you know, after that, I was a youth group leader and you know I volunteered for 15 hours every weekend you know it didn't quite work that way I did not become St. Paul overnight that took many more years to, to reach that level um, but it was a change but you see the change was was 
It was a joyful change. I was broken by love. And friends, this is what is so unbelievable about the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, Jesus is the founder of our religion. I know that's not exactly correct, but you get what I mean. He is the founder of our religion. And you know what he says? You know, he says, I'm going to conquer the world and I'm going to transform hearts, not by imposing my massive power on people and showing them that they must bow to my glory and majesty. I am going to come and I am going to serve them and give my life as a ransom for them and I am going to break them by my love for them. There is no other religion, worldview on the planet that says that you spend 24-7 being told at school and at work and in your relationships that it's all about you measuring up and the gospel comes in and it upends it all. Quick application. There's lots of reasons to be frustrated with our government over this COVID. There's lots of reasons to be anxious about what COVID has done to your uh, your employment or your schooling or your dating life or whatever. There's lots of reasons to be down. But there is one reason to be full of joy no matter what, and it's this. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Like Ezekiel said, the Lord, like a shepherd, hunted you lost sheep down and returned you to his fold. What if Kirkendall and Hamilton and the world saw, Jesus, saw Christians right now just bubbling with joy that cannot be suppressed no matter what the world throws at us. What would happen to the world? Wouldn't you love to find out? Let's pray. Father, Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you sought us, just like you sought Zacchaeus. You came to seek and save the lost, and you did it with him and with us. Humble us by that, but also empower us with great joy for the sake of your kingdom and its advancement in Hamilton and to the ends of the earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.